You can write everything down if you want to. Be brave enough to write every one of your goals down. But I'm going to tell you something. Life's going to hit you in your mouth and you got to do me a huge favor. Your why has to be greater than that knockdown. And I love it. Buster Douglas got knocked out. Nobody ever got knocked out by Mike Tyson and ever got back up. It was almost a 10 count. He was stumbling. They were four, three, two, one, and ding, 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 saved by the bell. And he goes to his corner. The whole world is like, yep, that's it. Once he comes back out, that's it. Mike's going to just hammer him. And exactly that, Mike Tyson came out like, I got him. I got this kid up against the rope. Listen to me, many of you right now, life's got you up against the rope. You can't give up, you can't give in. Listen to me, if it was easy, everybody would do it. And if life's got you backed up, I need you to do what Buster Douglas did. Buster Douglas started fighting back. And the world was shocked. <gasps> Goliath has been knocked down, what happened? And they went to Buster Douglas and they asked Buster Douglas simply like, what happened? And Buster Douglas said, listen to me, it's real simple, before my mother died, she told the whole world that I was gonna beat Mike Tyson. And two days before the fight, my mother died. Buster Douglas had, he had a decision to make. When his mother died, he could die with his mother, or he made a decision, I can wake up and I can live for mom. And he knocked Mike Tyson out simply because his why was greater than that punch. His why was greater than defeat. His why was greater than his trial and his tribulation. And I'm telling you, if you don't know what your why is and your why isn't strong, you're going to get knocked out every single day. Fellow teammates, Welcome to another episode of the Move Swiftly podcast. I am your host, Aswan Crookshank, the founder of Gym 44 Recruiting and author of Swiftly, Your Guide to Innovative Teamwork. Teammates, 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 once again, man, cannot tell you how much I appreciate you guys tuning in. We are well in 2021 mode. And today, my goodness, I have one of the day ones. I said one of the day ones. <laughs> if you guys have been listening in, you know I tell a lot of stories about my time at Washington Sports Club and all the, the lessons I picked up in a job that was only paying me $7 an hour, but all the knowledge and the things that I learned during that time was incredible. I have one of those guys that really taught me a lot and we've, we, we've been sticking together ever since. So Mr. Omar, what's happening, player? What's going on, Adwan? What's up, brother? Man, it's a privilege, oh, it's an honor to be on the show, man. Oh man, appreciate that, appreciate that. It, it's, so many, it's so many things that we could discuss, but the, the main thing, I know you're a busy guy, so I'm going to jump right into it. The main thing, and this is probably going to be the first time you've heard this story, because a lot of you guys listening in don't understand how much people like Omar, like how much they do and how much we really watch them, is back when I was at Washington Sports Club, and I, man, I must have been working there for maybe a few weeks, few months. I was a front desk guy, and Omar was a trainer, a personal trainer, so he had competition all over the gym. However, there was a time I saw him at work, and he was counseling other trainers like he was telling another trainer this is how i approach this client or this is what i would do and this is how it would be and you were doing that 
with your with someone that was a potential competitor. So really to get this thing started off, man, I just wanted to know, I always wanted to ask you, where did this idea of being a business mentor, like where where did this lifestyle, what what brought you into this lifestyle of being a business mentor? Man, that's a good question. So man, as Ron, <laughs> when I was at that gym and to hear you where you are now, brother, I'm 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 pumped up. I'm excited for what you got going on, man. Much respect. And I'm I'm happy to support it. So when I met you, I was at Washington Sports Club probably for about three years prior to you getting there and walked into a flagship operation. Now that company is no longer in business. They're actually bankrupt. I'm gonna tell you a funny story. So I walked into oh my the flagship flash, <laughs> location. Yeah, they're out of business, man. And I quit that job. My wife and I are full-time entrepreneurs now. But before right. then, working at Washington Sports Club, eight, nine years. And when you came, I was probably in my fourth year. And so the business was doing well. The company was doing well. They had New York, Pennsylvania, Boston, as you know. And mm-hmm. uh, at that time, out of about 1,800 personal trainers, 1,800 employees, I was always within top three to five personal trainers in terms of income earned. And mm-hmm. the competition for me, at least the way I saw it, and I hope that anyone who's a leader in their respective career field or path, I didn't see my competition as anyone that actually was a part of our team or within our location or within our proximity. I looked at our competition, I looked at my competition as being the, the, the individuals in New York, the individuals in Pennsylvania. So even though we were at the Washington Sports Club, I wasn't competing with mm-hmm. anybody at the Washington Sports Club where I worked at. You know, you, you have right. to look at the top and the tops in our industry were making close to a quarter million dollars a year. And that was my competition. Mm-hmm. So when it came to mentoring people on how to, you know, make a, a you know, a profit, but not necessarily make a, a substantial income, I felt like I was doing it because I knew that the opportunity that they, that they saw was different from what I saw. I saw a way to make over, you know, a quarter million dollars a year. For most trainers, they saw it as a way for them to make fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. And I wanted to take that mold. I wanted to let young trainers know that they could make a substantial income and take care of their families just by personal training without doing anything on the side. Right. Right. And but how how did you how did you get to a point where you, you know, you, you, you did this and you did this for me. And now I'm going to tell the story. Now you did this for me. You gave, got to a point where you saw someone like me who had no certification. I was a f- man. I just finished my freshman year and it would have been easy for you to charge me for personal training sessions. But we, we ended up working out together basically that year. And I got basically a year's worth of training for free. You know, how did you get to a I point remember. where you, and we'll get into this a little later, but, you have a, a philanthropic mindset or a way of making sure that people, you do little things to where they appreciate you 10 years down the line. I appreciate that, man. It's, <laughs> it's funny, you brought me back to that, man. I, I I forgot about that, you know, because we did so much since then in terms of- Right, right, don't charge me. Oh, oh, I might, I might <laughs> remind <you. laughs> Might get an invoice. So uh, no, I gotta go check my account. But uh, no, seriously, man, it was fun. It was fun. I will say this. Most people, unlike you, as when most people would have wimped out for my workouts. So while we're right. talking about me being this great businessman, a lot of a lot of why I did so well is because I I put a lot into my workouts, and you were able to keep up, man. So respect because when working with you, I realized that you had a drive that many people don't have. So I brought this into the the business system. I said, okay, 
if I can have young trainers who are okay being physically pushed and challenged, right. like in athletics and sports, if you can push a guy to the limits and you take that into the business world, you take that into any arena outside of what they did in their athletic field, and mm -hmm. you can get that same energy, that same response time. Response time, like for instance, Aswan, if mm -hmm. I say, hey man, look, you gotta make sure that you do something in addition to what we're doing. If I'm talking to a young trainer, I might say, hey, look, in addition to what you're doing as a trainer, you need to make sure that you're calculating how much money you're spending driving to work just so you know how much money you actually need to make in order to offset your expense. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, just, it baffles me if you're, if you're looking at your return on your investment. In your case, if I'm going to invest time into working with you as, as a young athlete, the way that you have to pay me back is by making sure you're there on time. Yes. By making sure if you need to stay late, you can stay late. You're not giving me some weak excuse about how you got to do this or you got to do that. So you pay me back in ways that, that, that you didn't know you were paying me back. And I look for that in any mentee that I work with as well as Ron, being willing yes. to do the small things like take care of the stuff that you can take care of and I'll help right. you with the rest. Yeah, I mean, I always joke about that time because I was training to go to Stony Brook. I was a walk-on at Stony Brook and he was training to go to the NFL. So that just the, the keeping up in a sense was – a big, big deal. And that, that really leads, I'm glad you brought up the football playing career because that's really what connects both of us and that, and people in the fitness world. And I've, I've worked with tons of gyms and it's the same story where you played football, you got a nice body, you got your body, you got work habits. And there's so many lessons and there's such a synergy between the football world and the fitness world. So just kind of dive in a little bit about what, what were some of the biggest lessons you learned as a football player? And, and, you know, you could tell them about where you played and your situation. I believe it was Central Michigan you started off at. And there's a lot of young kids listening in right now. And this, I'll give you, a, before I let you answer the question, here's a quote that he told me. And this is when we used to work out together. It's all you freshmen out there, every last one of you college football playing freshmen, everybody wants to transfer. Everybody. All right. You're not the first one to go to somewhere and play college football and say, I want to transfer. But but really listen to what Omar has to say with that one. Go ahead. Right, take the Amen. mic. Amen. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. And it's funny because I still deal with that. Even with COVID, I'm still advising young athletes to take their time before making decisions to transfer schools. A lot of players mm -hmm. are reclassing. A lot of players are trying to get their eligibility back from this year. But, man, so in my case, I had a full scholarship to Western Michigan University. Oh, Western, Western Michigan. Western Michigan, yeah, WMU. We had a game last night, a bowl game. Uh, you guys know Corey Davis from the Titans. A lot, of, a lot of players came out of Western since I've been there. But when I was there, I came in as a starting safety, strong safety. At my high school, there had not been a full-ride athletic scholarship in, for any sport for over 12 to 15 years. I, I think they could narrow it down, but it was over a decade. So. During my time, well, we got we got to let them know though. The, the Detroit, we got to yeah, let them Detroit, know where you're from though. Detroit, born and raised. You know, <laughs> family still on Seven Mile Road. Man, mom's still there, and uh, you know, I came up playing ball. That was my my escape from gangs and drugs and things that I had to be around as a child. You know, mm -hmm. parent household, a lot of opportunities to do things that I probably would have ended up in jail, and I did things that could have gotten me some jail time. But fortunately, with athletics, I was able to go a different route. And my family and I, we, uh, we looked at sports just like anything else. When we pursued anything, whether it was a job, or, you know, if you're a guy, you know, you probably had a time when you wanted to date the woman that you're dating and you did whatever you had to do in order to get that woman. And our business or in sports is no different. 
in order to achieve what you want, you have to do whatever it takes. So when I looked at getting an athletic scholarship, I didn't think about who had not gotten one prior to me getting one. I said, okay, what do I have to do in order to put myself in a position to be successful, in order to get a scholarship, in order to have coaches put me on their radar? That came with the work. The work I won't talk about because if you can't work hard, it doesn't matter how many people you know, how many connections you have. So, so hard right. work, that's number one. Number two is, is who you know, the connections that you build. So at the time when I was recruiting or getting recruited, we didn't have social media like everybody has now. I'm not going to go into the whole, oh, yeah, I used to walk in snow stories. But mm-hmm. it, was, it was different. So we had to yeah. basically self-promote. And, and so now when you look at what we do in business, as one, you see people that are learning how to promote, how to, how to endorse and, and, and brand themselves. And, and, yes, and at an earlier age, too. I was just, at, I was just telling her about my niece, age. my 11-year-old niece, right? Man, it's, it's amazing. And athletes are doing mm-hmm. it, too. So if you yeah. put that into the business world, so, so, like, if you can get a full-ride scholarship, you've marketed yourself in some way or another, in a positive way. Yes. And right. if you put that into the business world, you can do it while in, while in school, like you said, with your niece and a lot of young athletes who are finding ways to monetize themselves but more importantly, you got to have the discipline and the work ethic. It goes back to your work ethic. So when you're in the weight room, are you the first one to leave? Are you the first one to, to, to get there? Which, which one is it? Are you the last one to leave and the last one to get there? Which one is it? And, and not only that, but what are you doing when no one's watching? So if you're studying the greatness of others or if you're, you're trying to, like, say, for instance, in my case, when I became a trainer, just like in sports, I, I shadowed a lot of trainers. When I first started working there as one, I was the youngest trainer there. I was like 20, 25 years old. I was making six figures by the time I was 27. And wow. I'm, I'm looking at these trainers that are older than me and I'm asking myself, why are they struggling? What? But I didn't, I didn't want to replicate that. I looked at the ones that were, that were doing, I, I took a few things from a few people. Some of them I didn't take everything from, but, but most of them I took a little bit from. And I remember one trainer telling me when I was new, man, I had this, this many clients in one day. And, and right away, without him knowing it, that became my target. That became my goal. It was a yes. double-digit number. And I said, okay, without him knowing it, that became my goal. And I hit that goal, and I remember thinking, why did he set the bar so low for himself? Why was he bragging about that? Because when I hit that goal, I said, there's got to be more. Yes. And, and, well, how much do you think – you see how you reacted to that, that? How much do you think what you went through as a football player led to that? Like, was, was it a natural – because I'm – we're talking to a lot of guys now that are accepting the fact that the NFL is a high chance that it won't happen. I get mm-hmm. you want to go after I get it. And no, I'm not taking that dream away from you. But what he's saying, he's not saying, all right, I'm going to walk around the weight room and just post videos of myself all day and post selfies and then act like I'm doing stuff. He's saying, you know, there has to be a level of focus and a level of work ethic because the opportunity is going to be there to promote yourself. However, the the work ethic and the competitive spirit still has to be there and that's that's what i think is fading nowadays because the the like you see it when you said all right this guy has a certain amount of clients and in your head you immediately went on the field like you were like all right i'm gonna lock it down i gotta get it like how 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 did that happen like talk a little bit about the the competitive nature that you you think a lot of kids gotta have and that's a good question man i think (laughs) it goes back to knowing that anybody can get it. Like, any, I've, I've always approached athletics in the same fashion that I do life. If mm-hmm. there's someone that has what I want, they only have it because they put in the work to get it. It's not because right. I don't, you don't make excuses and say that, you know, I don't care if it's the coach's son, whoever it is. 
if they're at your position and you have the same capability, yeah, exactly. you can take their spot. You can go for that number one slot. Doesn't matter where you start off at. Doesn't matter the hurdles you have to face. So, so when you're talking about players that have, let's say their career on the back end, let's say they're looking at the NFL now, they're not really looking at their glory days anymore. They're, they're kind of seeing themselves either fade out or they have to fight harder. They have to scratch and, and claw a little bit harder. I've been there. Mm -hmm. Knowing that your career is coming to an end, knowing that you're competing with guys that could be younger than you, more athletic than you, you have to work yes. that much harder. You have to put in that much more effort, that much more work. And a lot of people are willing to do what others are willing to do, but they aren't willing to do more. So if you're right. an athlete and you're competing with someone who's 21, 22, and you're 24, 25 on the back end, maybe you've already had a few years since you played college ball and you're trying to really get things back in, in place, get back on track, that means that you have to put in three to four times more effort than that person who's 21 or 22. And if you're not willing to do that, then you have to find a new career path. When I counsel athletes as one that are transitioning from playing collegiate sports to maybe playing pro in some fashion, some minor league type deal, yes. my advice is always the same. You have to know that your, your end is inevitable. You have to know that there's a time that's going to come when no matter how hard you work, there's going to be someone that's younger than you that will be just as skilled and talented. So when I'm talking to a young player, I was talking to a guy about a month ago, he just got released from the Colts. And I asked mm -hmm. him, I said, what are you doing to establish yourself in the business world? And yes. I gave him a book. I gave him a book to read, man. I'm not going to name the book. But he was so tied up into being an athlete that he didn't think about the fact that even if he had another Physically, don't get me wrong, but make sure you have some other things in place just in case it doesn't work out. So you have to transition from, all right, so on the field, just to answer your question to wrap up. Yeah. If you see someone and they're doing what you want to do in life, whether it's a sport or in business, make sure you shadow them. Make sure you learn from them. Make sure you take as much as you can away from what they've been able to accomplish and use it in your own way to develop the style that works for you so you can have the same results. Yes, and, and well, I'm glad you brought it up because it kind of it leads me into the where I want to transition with you next is I try was it four or five years, maybe six years ago now, I tried starting up a minor league football team named the Ocean City mm -hmm. Sharks and mm -hmm. fell flat. You guys know phone gone. I mean, he'd have to contact me through email, car, repossess, <laughs> <laughs> bank account with zero, lost absolutely and the thing is nothing was necessarily wrong with the idea. I just pushed it too fast. And, and, you know, him and his wife, Samai, was one of the first families that kind of just talked to me and said, hey, bro, don't give up on it. And, you know, dreams, it happens. And that, that leads me into where I want to talk to you about next is that when we let the foot, when we have to let an idea go, when it was a great idea, all this, whatever happened, when we have to let an idea go. We get approached by a ton of MLMs, multi-level marketing companies, as athletes and as people that are in this world and that can sell. You know, you and I have been a part of so many different ones. I've learned and talked about so many different ones. What would you say are the, the advice when it comes to evaluating which company to be a part of? You know, what, like without naming any of the company names, what kind of questions do you ask yourself to make sure that this is a venture that's going to work out for you? You know what? That's a great question. <laughs> so you're, you're looking into multiple revenue streams. I think when you tie it down to one industry, you limit yourself. So I'll say this to start off. Mm -hmm. No matter if it's an MLM, no matter if it's a business that's a franchise. No a a new football new, organization, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> new startup company, no matter what it is. Make sure, 
Make sure you have the right people helping you. Right. That's first and foremost. A lot of people, a lot of people, a lot of people make a mistake into into thinking that they can do enough research to to make decisions like this without having someone physically there to help. Them. Right. You know. So so yeah. The the common answer is make sure you do enough research and, and check all the facts and read all the blueprint. Yeah. Okay. Great. Do that. But if you only see positive, does that help you? No. If you only see negative, does that help you? No. So research is cool. And, and I think nowadays it's over fantasized because there's so much information out there and people mm-hmm. can find whatever they want about whatever they need. So research is cool. But the, the, the individuals that's helping you is even more important. So when you tie that into athletics as one, you would probably point out someone like an agent, maybe. You know, mm-hmm. so we, we do it in our entire life. No matter where we are, we look at people who are helping us and we value that more than what they're helping us do. So if I'm if I'm learning how to let's say pick up trash, I know I can figure out how to pick up trash pretty much by just looking at a YouTube video. But how can I become a multimillionaire by picking up trash? That takes someone teaching me. That takes someone coaching me. So wow. I didn't want to just I didn't want to yeah I didn't want to just be in an MLM. I didn't want to just be in in in, in stocks. I didn't want to just be in in real estate. I wanted to make sure that if I was going to be in any of those industries, whether it was a new startup or whatever I put my time and energy and money into, mm-hmm. that there were people in place that had already succeeded that can help me. And, and and so when I looked at some companies back in the day, like you say, you and I, we've been around the block, being approached right. by companies that I would name and people would know them by name. And fortunately, I never gave them my, my time or, or energy, but in some cases I did. In one or two particular cases, I partnered up with the company. And it's funny because just like when you're an athlete and you can sometimes mistake someone wanting a profit from you for someone wanting to actually help you. And if you're looking at an agent or a coach and you don't realize that it's a business first, it's a business. So when I got in business with the company that quickly showed me that the people that I thought would be helping me wouldn't help me the way that I wanted to be helped, I quickly realized that not every company is the same. Mm-hmm. So that's first and foremost, know who you're in business with. Second, right. Well, let me let me make sure. Know who. So you basically have people because these are people listening in. Is know who's going to be helping you would be the first thing they should ask themselves. Very first thing. Very first thing, and that could include background checks. That can include a lot of things. Mm-hmm. That's more important than the company you're partnering up with. Now, mind you, don't go in this business with something that's just. I mean, you know, you you have to make sure it's legit. You have to make sure they have a good track record. But, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter. I've seen people in great businesses fail because of the people they had helping them. And when I say help, I don't mean doing things for you. This isn't the government. I'm talking about teaching you, coaching you, being an example. Yeah. And if you're an example, the only way you can be a good example is by having results. So I never wanted to be in a position where I was only talking or, or, or theoretically speaking. And I didn't want to be some weirdo following some cookie cutter method either that, that everybody thought they can do or like spamming people on my social media pages, all that crap. And and it's funny you brought up sports and athletics because when I got in business, I saw one of our former quarterbacks at uh, Howard University where I transferred to, and I saw him and I said, hey, man, I'm in business with this company. I was green as well. I'm not going to lie, man. I I didn't really care what people thought. I was like, hey, man, I, I, in my opinion, maybe me being unaware of the stigmatisms placed on MLM, it, it helped me because I didn't really have any preconceived notions about the business you know that because we were talking yes. a lot about this yeah you were educating me more than than, than anybody else about the industry so 
when right. I got started, I saw a quarterback that I played with, and he was like, man, you know, I was in that. And you get that a lot. I was in that. I was in this. And he talked mm -hmm. about the teammates that I had from Howard that were also involved in it. And before we parted ways, he said, man, I don't think that's going to work for you. Take my number, because we hadn't saw each other in a while. He said, take my number. Call me if it works for you. 17 months later, the same thing he thought wouldn't work, we made work. And I called him. And I said, hey, right. I just want to let you know it works. So, you know, again, it's about who you are in business with. Because for him, it didn't work. Quarterback, the power university, great guy, knew a lot of people. But mm -hmm. uh, for me, it did. Right. And, and it really boils down to what you were what you were talking about earlier when you were a trainer too like it, it's crazy how those same habits and and for guys who are listening in and i know you guys are struggling and you listen this is a careers podcast this is a podcast it's move swiftly finding your place in this world we're not mentioning any names of specific companies and we're not here to do that to judge you and make you feel like one's better than the other really ask yourself what's going to be good for me because it's a decision you got to live with for the rest of your life like had he had he and I stayed in the business that we were that he's talking about, then we're not doing this podcast and we're not helping athletes as a whole because they would have been just so bogged down on doing that one thing. He said it. Just doing that one thing sometimes doesn't work out because there's something better, there's something better. Like imagine if the Ocean City Sharks would have worked. I don't get to Florida. <laughs> and I'm loving South Florida. I'm just telling you guys right now, you guys how much I love it out here. I don't get there because I'm so bogged down on making that idea work. Now, you know, I, I follow you. On, I keep up with you on social media, and I really want to get this in because you don't, you don't put it out there a lot, but I noticed that you do some things for the homeless, and you go out and you give out food to homeless people and things like that. And this was after I left Maryland. So can you just kind of go in on how that, that power, I think it, I want to say it was the annual, you know, give food away to the homeless, kind of how that started. Yeah. And things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 13th annual power family DC homeless food giveaway happened about a month ago, man. And it's funny you asked about this as well, because I normally don't talk about it. I'm not being fake humble or anything like that. I normally do not talk about this. Right. It's such a sacred area in my life. And and I only if you notice I only post one post about it on social media. There's not absolutely not build up. Yeah. And I'm not saying that it's wrong or right. I, that's just me. But man, to be honest, it goes back to what you said earlier. <laughs> I guess helping people, when it comes down to it, you know, because chasing a dream sometimes can be one-dimensional. You, you can be individualized. You can, you can be in a box. You can be in that tunnel, as we say. So mm -hmm. when I stopped chasing my dream to play athletic, to play pro ball, which, which ended in a really typical fashion, injuries, uh, you know, I was getting paid to play when I had my last injury, so at least I accomplished that, and it, it was mm -hmm. uh, the arena league. But going into the weight room, I remember, I remember helping some of my former teammates. You know, when we, when we worked together, I was already done playing. But this is back when I was in the arena league, getting paid to play. So I'm, I'm it was uh, what, Indiana, Indiana team or something Indiana, like that? Indiana, yep. Yeah. Fort Wayne Fusion, man. It was, a, that was, it was, it, a, yeah. it was a great team. Actually, my head coach, Coach Eddie Brown, is Antonio Brown's father. No kidding. <laughs> No kidding. Coach Eddie Brown. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, uh, he's out here in South Florida. He grew up not too far from where I'm at. And man, he's that whole, that, that's a podcast in itself, just all the nonsense. He, <laughs> Coach, he went say he learned it from his dad, as one. Coach Brown was a, a, an eccentric guy. He was a, you, if you met Coach Brown, you met, you met Antonio Brown. Trust me, they are not different. 
So, wow. But no, so, so he recruited me, man. I went out to Indiana. They put us in a nice apartment. And, uh, you know, we got paid to play, got food, all that stuff. It was a great experience. But I remember when, 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 when I got there, every week there would be new guys coming in with bags from, from Florida, from places, you know, where they recruited. And, and they were my competition, obviously. But, but it, for some reason, didn't stop me from helping them in, in, in any way that I could on the field. Mm-hmm. You know, now in the, in the weight room, same thing. I remember a couple of days I was leading the workouts. And, and this is me at 23, not really knowing that I would ever even consider being a trainer. I majored in criminal justice out of Howard. I never wanted to work as a trainer. But so I wasn't that guy walking around college studying exercise science. You know, I'm not saying anything's wrong with that. But for right. me, I was looking at wearing a suit and tie regardless after I, right. after I finished playing. So exactly. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm at, the, I'm at the gym, I'm helping out. And then I transitioned to, uh, you know, not playing. And so I, you know, obviously I'm helping out as a trainer. But I realized that when I was playing, I was doing things that led me to really want to help people without there being a dollar amount attached to it, without there being mm-hmm. a, a, an actual return on my, my time. So if you help enough people, this is where giving back to the community and, and, and being a blessing to others. If you help enough people, and I don't mean help them accomplish their financial goals, just help them feel better about themselves. Just help them look at life differently. Maybe help them get over a hurdle or an obstacle that they're currently facing. If, mm-hmm. if you do that, it might be small to you, but it could be big to them. So for me, helping people live healthier, helping people find ways to make money, and, and ultimately helping those who can't help themselves, I feel it's a natural gift that we can give. We don't have to give our, our, our money. We don't have to give our time. We can give someone a resource like a sandwich. If you can't afford it, you can start a GoFundMe page, and you can have dozens of people donate to give you money so you can go and give that food away that you really want to give away. So if you want to help people, it's not a matter of whether or not you can afford it. Yeah, we're able to do it because we're blessed financially out of the, the goodwill of our own pockets. We can go and buy food and give it away and not have to worry about it being a non-for-profit or taking, taking loans or donations. But if that's where it starts for you and you really have a given spirit, then you need to go make it happen. Don't make excuses if you don't have the money to go give out hundreds of foods, hundreds of bags of food each, each year or each month. And it doesn't matter how often you do it. I think as long well, people mistake what someone else does for something that they have to do. If you don't have the resources to do it every month, if you don't have the resources to do it every year, maybe it won't be an annual event, but you can start with where you're at. You can start with going it once and maybe it'll be a biannual event. Maybe it'll be every five years. Either way, you're doing something that can be a blessing to others. And if you really have that given spirit, it'll come out no matter what you do. You could be in any industry, you could be in any field, and you're going to find a way to give back. If you're a doctor, you're mentoring young doctors on how to have an accomplished career path in medicine. If you're a coach, you're taking coaches under your wing. And you're, you're, you're knowing that you're preparing these young coaches to one day be your rival. And that's how you got to look at life. One day, my mentor is going to be my rival. One day I'm going to do better than the person I'm learning from. And that's athletics, that's business, that's life, that's family. Anywhere you look, anywhere you look at it, man, being able to out accomplish the person that you're learning from should be your goal. And if that's your mentor's goal, both of you are going to accomplish great things. Move, <laughs> Move swiftly. You guys have, oh man, you guys have, I almost feel like I should charge you guys for this right now, man. <laughs> I mean, you are getting some 
excellent, excellent gems being dropped. And what, what excites me about it, though, Omar, honestly, is your boys, you know, your, your two sons. I have a nephew now that's going to be 10 this in 2021. What excites me is that you're blazing a trail for them, too. Because as you mentioned, you didn't grow up with that figure. And there's so many people who are in your situation that are constantly making that as an excuse, so using that as an excuse to not get to the places that they want. And, and what, that's really what excites me. And that, that really leads me into my final point with you, or my, the final thing I want to talk to you about is, you know, what's next? What, what, what's next for, for Omar? And what, what can people expect to see from you moving forward? Because I really do feel like there are going to be a lot of people hitting you up after they hear, after they hear this. I appreciate the time, man. It's, it's definitely about the, the, the family. And you mentioned your nephew, man, 10 years old. Wow, time is flying. You see, I'm telling you. Yeah, man, I mean, 10 is no different from 16 in some cases. And 16 is a scary age, trust me. So, you know, Jeez. I got my boys. Yeah, my boys, they, uh, they are definitely the reason why we're out here as hard as we are every day. And when I say we, I mean my beautiful wife. She's my better half. Working with your spouse is cool, man. I think a lot of young men don't see the value in their spouse until they become parents. And then you see more value when you start making money with your spouse alongside your spouse. So first and foremost, for my wife and I, our plans aren't just to give back to our community. I don't want to sound like that's not enough because I think that's overhyped and over, overused. I want to make enough money where I can continue to give back and maybe support some causes. Absolutely. Philanthropy is a big part of why we do what we do. And a lot of mm-hmm. reasons that we want to give back is so we can give to places that we would never be able to even visit or never ever have an opportunity to be thanked. Being able to give back to places that you won't even be able to receive recognition for giving to that particular place or that organization. So giving without expecting anything in return is first and foremost. I think that's a big reason why we do what we do. You never know when you're going to be able to be a blessing to someone else. So what we want to do as one, as a couple, as a business organization, as, a, as an entrepreneurship team with the different investments that we're currently creating through COVID is different. I'm not going to lie, man. COVID has changed so much for us. The last opportunity that I had to share with someone in Detroit, where I'm from, about business was a rec center that we were talking about. I was more so on the investor side, but they were on the grassroots side. They were in Detroit or the suburban area. Mm-hmm. And these are individuals that within the last month I've talked to, but before COVID, it was more yeah. along the lines of business. And the business right. that they wanted to get off the ground was a rec center where kids can come. And, and as long we've talked about this, but see, without it being something that has happened or, or something that we've done, we're still in pursuit. A dream yeah. doesn't stop or you don't lose that vision. You just mm-hmm. maybe have delays and setbacks. So if you call COVID a setback, that's cool, but it never should stop you. It's not something that should have derailed you. It just slowed you down a little bit. So we were, we were envisioning at the time uh, a rec center where kids can come and have the opportunity to get coached and trained and have the you know, open court, all that stuff, and, and only need their report card to get a membership. Okay, so, man, that's a good idea. Yeah, man, and 3.0, of course, would be the criteria. You know, maybe 2.5, we were debating on that. But we had all the zoning rights. Everything was in place, Aswan. I mean, I'm talking mm-hmm. building, constructions. Everything was in place. And this is someone, again, childhood friend of mine who was an engineer in Detroit. And mm-hmm. so I was on the investor side, but more so the, the, the development side, too. They were on the, the, the implementation side. And they had it all in works. We had it all together. But now, obviously, things are changing. So how can we move forward? 
and help people globally without it being the way that we once thought we would. Maybe if you're like us, you wanted to open up a lot of community centers in the, in the impoverished areas that you grew up in or around the country, around the world even. My wife wanted to open up dance studios, even though she never danced, she sees value in the art. And she knows that it has helped people develop other skill sets. And more importantly, it's given them a way to unleash some energy and maybe take them off the streets where they could have been doing things that, that weren't as helpful. So my wife wanted to do that. I was working more with athletes. She was thinking more about dance and creative design. So what we can do now is develop leaders that can operate through a virtual system, a, a, an internet, whatever it might be, an internet-based system, an online curriculum. If you're going to move forward in 2021, it's going to be because you've adapted. Most people yeah, fail yeah. in life because they, like you said, they, they don't adapt. They don't change. If you, if you had stopped when Ocean City didn't work out, not only would you not be here, I wouldn't have an opportunity to talk on a, on, on a, on a show like this, but you wouldn't mm -hmm. be blessing as many lives as you're blessing too. So the intangibles for us is how can we still have a global reach? How can we still be international instead of just looking at life within our box because we're stuck and we can't really travel as much? Globally speaking, as one, we have to develop leaders that can operate an online system, whether it's a business or a teaching right. or a training or YouTube videos. You got to right. put out content. You hear it all the time. Eric Thomas, Gary Vee. You have to put out content. There's so many people. And that's why I appreciate what you're doing, because people mm -hmm. hold within what they've been taught, or what they've learned. And you can put it out for free. You put it out for free, eventually someone's going to pay you. If you become good enough, you're going to get paid a king's ransom to do something that you would have did for free. Right. So you got to become good at it first. First, work on your craft. And if that means giving away free information, if that means giving away free content, maybe signing up to train people for free, maybe maybe training people. And, and like you said, back in the day, you were kind of, in some cases, my guinea pig. Because I said, hey, look, if it works for him, it got to work for other people. So I'm working yeah, it like yeah. that too, like where you're learning while you're giving, you're learning while you're failing. So for us as one, hands down, our number one priority is making sure our kids are in a position to be leaders because we realize we yes, can't do for yes. so much. As young parents, yeah, we have an advantage. We can still have another 40 or 50 years of productivity. But at some mm -hmm. point, in order for us to leave a legacy, same way you're going to have to implement the same things you're learning in your nephew and your kids, we have mm -hmm. to make sure our next generation, we have to make sure we're developing leaders that can move in an economic society, an economic time that may not require them to travel and be face to face. Mm -hmm. How can you adapt and use the internet? How can you adapt and use social media like you're doing? So right, activity right, right. and making sure that you have a platform that you can display whatever you're learning on. Yeah, and you know that that's important. I'm glad you said because there's a lot of people who I deal with a lot of youth coaches, and they're they're doing so many things for other people's kids. And although it is a great thing, if you can't help yours, if you can't be the example for your kid, then all all your efforts are just gonna go. You're just gonna run out of gas. So it's like what he's saying is it's so important to help your own first, and then allow the work to spread through them. I, 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 I don't think people really understand how important because in our world, especially in our football and our sports world, a kid could be just, you know, a normal kid walking down the street and two days later, he's this world star recruit who's worth a couple million dollars. And we could get so caught up in that, that particular process. But if you're not helping yours, yours specifically, then you're really going to be, you're really going to be running out of gas. It's so, I see it a lot more. It, it's different too out here in South Florida because there's so much talent. 
you know, out when I was in Maryland, it was not nearly as much talent as it is out here. And you see so many parents who just run themselves and, and they run out of gas so much quicker because they're really expecting that thing to happen. They're expecting Nick Saban to come in and save the day. It's not going to happen. <laughs> in that's, terms that's of, point, I, I got to tell you guys that's listening in, Nick Saban ain't going to do what you could do for your kid. Not at all. Not at all. And it, it's such a short window of time that your kid is going to be an athlete. Right. I mean, when you put it into perspective, what is it, 30 years at most, maybe 35, 40? And that's, and you got to so, be a dog. Like, you got to be damn good. <laughs> right. Right. So, so, yeah, man, you, you do have to watch out for those parents that, and I, I, and I can't say that my wife and I weren't going down that road at some point, but at, mm-hmm. but, but at some point in our life, we had to realize and transition to being the long term example for our kids. There you Short go. Term, right. I, yeah, right. yeah, I could have kept taking my son to the gym every day and being at every workout and, and maybe even running some sporties with him and doing some chest press with him. And I would have been a great example in the gym. But mm-hmm. what I realized was that if I paid a trainer to train him and I went out and I developed other income streams or he was at the gym being trained by someone who might have been in their early 20s training or maybe they didn't have other kids or maybe they didn't have a wife. And, and they could afford to train. And at the point when I was training Aswan, it was no less than $500 an hour. So yeah, if I wanted to still mm-hmm. train, I would still be making over six figures right now currently, but I would be taking time away from my family. I would be taking time away from my son. I would be taking time away from developing other income streams. So pay someone else to do the stuff that you might think you have to do as a dad. I'm not saying pay someone to drop your kids off at practice. If you can afford it, do it. But make right. sure you're at the games, make sure you're at every special and important event, but you don't have to be the dad at every practice. You can you, you don't have to be the, the dad that's volunteering and then when your son graduates, all you're left with is your is is, is your job or you know, so you have to think long term. Long term, your mm-hmm. son needs to see you succeed outside of being the dad that helps their son go to the next level in sports. Yeah, yeah. And that that's where we're missing the point. Well, especially out here, that's where a lot of them miss that point. It it really is important, guys. It, I get it. I mean, I moved to South Florida because of the talent, because of, of this dream I had to be an NFL scout. And then I started working for an NFL team and I realized, man, I, I could do so much more, man. <laughs> I could take my world of fitness and apply it to football and we could create right a, a way, a whole new way of thinking so that athletes, if they don't make it or dads and however you want to do it, you don't have to be that guy that, oh, I got this guy a scholarship. It was because of me or it was because of Ms. Masa. You don't have to be that guy anymore. You just don't have to be. There's so much more for you in in the long term. Like you said, in the long term, it's going to help. Because, yeah, I get, you know, his sons might be upset that he might have missed the practice, so he might have heard this. But now, think about about his sons. Now, they're like, all right, cool. That could be wherever because he's financially in a place where he can do what he does. And not only that, we can can support my son. And we didn't talk about Mm -hmm. this a lot, but you know this, Aswan, but my 17-year-old is at a prep school. Mm -hmm. He got, got, you know, Oak Hill on his calendar. You know, he got, uh, you know, he's got some major teams that he's playing against. And financially, we can afford it. But more importantly, Aswan, what I noticed, my son picked this up too. He was like, Pop, he was like, Dad. There's a lot of dads that that are so involved in what the coaches are doing that they're limiting their son. They're limiting their, right. their and, and, and because again, it's a prep school. These are these are dads that grew up watching their kids be the number one player on their rec team, be the number mm-hmm. one player at their high school. So there, there's sometimes dads that are a little bit more controlling. And so he said, "Man, I'm so I'm so blessed because 
Now, mind you, Ashwan, my son, he's 17. He didn't want to go back to, to, to school this past holiday. They had games all this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and he didn't want to go back. He was like, man, I'm not getting that much playing time, Pop. He was like, because he's, a, he's a, a, a sophomore. So, you know, he's got upperclassmen that's playing. And so he didn't want to go back. He literally didn't want to go back. If I, if I told him, Aswan, that you didn't have to go back, he would not have went back. But I said, son, mm -hmm. you know, not only will you set a bad example, but blah, 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 you're going to miss this, you're going to miss that. So he went back. And he, and, he, and he called me a couple of days later. He said, you know what, I'm glad that I went back. He was like, but there's a lot of dads that felt like if their son didn't get the playing time that they should have gotten, they should not have been at the game. And, and, and so he was a preach tip that we didn't care about him not getting playing time. So, so yeah, you mm -hmm. want your kid yeah, to succeed. Yeah. You want your kid to be the best. You want your kid to be the star. But you can't let them or you ride that so much that your personal self-image or your belief, your confidence lowers because of a sport. So you really have to keep things in perspective. So I just, I just wanted to mention that, Aslan, because I think a lot of guys, when they hear me say, you got a plan for life after sports, you might assume that I'm not competitive. Oh, I'm a dog. I'm, not, I'm like, hey, mm -hmm. we're going to go at it in sports. We're going to go at it. And my son is mm -hmm. going to be the best in any sport he plays as well. But he's also going to know how to balance his bank account. He's also going to know how to make money outside of sports as well. Yeah, it, well, it kind of makes me think about uh, the that team in Cali, Sierra Cannon with D-Wade's son and LeBron's son. And remember just watching them and seeing that's the trend. You know, they, this it, like you guys are saying it's, it's a trend-setting way of thinking now because, especially in basketball, if you want to make it, there's so many things. There's so much third-party and scholastic influence nowadays that, like, I mean, football is one thing, but basketball, it's like on another level. That's, again, another podcast episode of itself to where if he sees that, he's starting to realize, you know what, this sport, I better get my academics. I get to get my financial literacy together <laughs> because this thing, this thing is – some real politics. I mean, football is one thing, but damn. It is, is crap. I mean, this cat's right. Zion must have probably collected a couple mil when he was 17, his age. It's like, geez. What was the Alonzo ball? That whole team is like, it, what he's probably seeing is so much more different than what we saw at that he's age. He's in Charlotte. He's in Charlotte. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you brought up Zion. His coach talks about Zion and, and the Ball brothers, man. So, Man, you're right, man. He's he, It's a whole new world. And, and before that reason, I'll say this last thing, man. It can be intimidating. So I told him, just like everybody else that I would, that I would mentor, you're not in this, and, and athletes understand this, I hope they do. You're not in this to make it to the next level. You're in right. this to get the best experience from the time that you're currently in. And if you're 18 through 22, there's nothing more important than playing college sports. So, yeah, that might be the best experience for you between 18 and 22. But don't let the fact that you didn't go to the pros define you or, or slow you down. One mistake I made as one, because I'm not perfect, is after I didn't make it to the NFL, I, I didn't really have an identity. I didn't really know exactly who I wanted to be. I became the best personal trainer because it was easy. It was, mm -hmm. it was I mean, I, I studied, don't get me wrong. I wasn't that jock in there saying, give me 15 reps on everything. You know, I, I, I was real scientific in what I did, but I became so good at it that it became boring. And I didn't have an identity, I would say, for about five years besides being a dad. And, and, and I know how it's for some dads, your identity gets wrapped in what your son does. And my son was always mm -hmm. a good basketball player, even at age six. You remember back in the day, he would, he would just have a, a natural way to shoot. And I didn't really think about him playing in the pros, but I knew he was good. So yeah. not having an identity 
having a son that could easily be better at the sport that he's playing. I didn't play basketball, but at the sport that he's playing, he could be a better athlete. And you find yourself getting wrapped up in one little wrap of, of, of life, one little way of thinking, one little, one little box, if I, if I could call it that. And that's being a parent, being the parent of a star athlete, and then being maybe a husband or being whatever you are with your career field. My advice mm-hmm. is when you lose your identity in sports, which is inevitable, no matter who you are. There's people walking around right now that if you, if you, if you saw them, you wouldn't know that they were Hall of Famers. You wouldn't know that no. they were Olympic athletes. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have a clue. And so your identity in sports is only but so long. You're only going to have that but so long. So when you don't have something else that you can define yourself through, when you don't have another way for your last name to mean something, I think that's when you start to do things that are destructive. So if nothing else, make sure that you latch on to a movement, a cause, whether it's what Aswan is doing, if you're a former athlete and you want to get involved in what he's doing, look into it. Maybe you can latch on, learn some things, and then develop something that you can do. Either way, don't get caught in that box of just being an employee when deep down inside that athlete in you is still there. But because you put your shoes, you put your cleats away or you put the, the basketball shoes up, you don't have an identity. You can still be who you were on the football field, on a basketball court, but in a different way. Maybe it's not you playing anymore, but now you're helping young athletes. So again, when you don't have an identity, find it in someone else that you can help bless through what you've developed in sports and athletics. Absolutely. 100%, man. And I, again, dude, we could rap for hours, man. I, I, I love what you're doing now. I think what you said has shown me you've come a long way. Because I'll be honest, when, when I first met you, you were late 20s, and he was actually thinking he was going to get an NFL contract, guys. Like, he, in his head, <laughs> he was like, I'm assigned to the NFL. <laughs> I couldn't say this to him because, you know, I'm getting free trainer, but it's like, all right, brother, you know. But, six pack hey. and squats, that's all I knew. Six pack, <laughs> six pack squats and bench press, man. <laughs> and, 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 and I was making money. That's the problem. A lot of guys, they still yeah. try out for these teams and they don't realize you're already making about as much people are going to make in the arena football league. You know what I'm saying? So it's like right. when you see people trying to go to the NFL, that's different. But if you're just playing at the lowest level, I'm not knocking minor league sports. But just make mm-hmm. sure you got another plan. Make sure you got a plan B. <laughs> right. Now, there's this thing I do with all my guests. Uh, it's called word association. I'm going to say four words. Just give me a quick one-word response, what you think of when you hear these four words. Cool? And then we'll close. All right. Word number one, reading. Important. Love it, love it. All right, word number two, money. Never enough. Ooh, ooh. I like that one. All right, third, word number three, uh, success. Inevitable. Inevitable. And a final word, family. All you have. All you have. Love it, love it. All right, now before I officially close, I'm going to just give you the mic for a second and just go ahead and plug and any parting words, anything you want to say to people. First of all, I appreciate you jumping on. And, you know, again, we'll, we'll definitely stay in touch. There's been, man, some gems dropped. I hope you guys have been taking notes wherever you're listening to it from, whether it's car, headphones, whatever. I hope you jotted down a lot of these things. Go back, listen to it, do whatever you have to do. It, it, it's so important. But go ahead, Omar, take the mic and we'll, we'll officially close. Man, again, honor and the privilege, Aswan. I'm excited for where we are as a culture, you know, the black community, no matter if you're black or not, you know, there's been some things that's happened over the past 12 months that has exposed certain systemic things that, that, that maybe you can help control. Maybe you can be a small 
beacon of hope for someone that's coming up and seeing the world from the view that we're now seeing it. Because if you're not 18 or 19, you might have been blinded by the lack of exposure that now is, is coming about with all the different systemic issues that are happening, not to mention in politics. So without going into all that, my advice, my last call to action is for you to develop something that not only will outlive you, but something that you can use right now to help create the change that everybody is asking for or the change that people are talking about, the change that everybody is praying for. You don't have to do a lot, but you can do a little and a little adds up. And in your community, in your culture, whether it's black, white, Hispanic, there's people that are looking up to you, whether you know it or not. And a, and a lot of people don't give themselves enough credit. So my advice is be the best you first, whatever that means. Be the best you. If you're a janitor, be the best janitor. If you're a lawyer, be the best lawyer. Be the best you. Be the best version of you that's, that's here right now. Ten years from now, that version of you will be different. But for now, if you're in college, be the best college entrepreneur. If you're in high school, make sure you're making as much money as you can make in high school. That's, that's feasibly you know, possible. That's, that's reasonable. So you're not taking away from your academics. You're not taking away from your school, but you're still putting yourself in a position to be profitable because profit doesn't come with an age. Retirement doesn't come with an age. The more time you have, if you can develop an income stream in your 20s that can allow you to not have to work a job in your 30s, now you have more time to do things that you enjoy. And you can actually make a difference without it being attached to how much money you make from doing whatever you're doing. So make sure you're the best you first and foremost. Develop enough income so that you can be a blessing to others while you're here. Not just with some inheritance, not just with some life insurance or, or just leaving behind a couple of properties. Leaving something that is long-standing I think that's easy to do. The brokest person can go invest in something right now and have something they can leave on for their kids. But can you develop the mindset now to be a blessing to others while you're here? Instead of just saying, well, I invested in this and that, I'm going to let it ride out for 30 years. And when I die, my kids going to inherit that. What are you investing in them right now? And if you're not investing in yourself through reading, through being mentored, because the fool that mentors himself will always have a fool for a mentor. So make sure you're getting advice from someone else that's smarter than you. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. If you make the most money in the room, you're in the wrong room. Make sure you're humble enough to be around people that are better than you, not different from you, because they can be alike, they can be black, they can be white, and they can still be successful. So don't chase somebody because they're different. Chase somebody because they have what you want. Doesn't matter their race, background, age, or creed. As one in my business, especially in direct sales and MLMs, you don't see a lot of black people succeeding. You don't see a lot of people walking around saying, I made six figures in this MLM or whatever it might be. And that's because a lot of people don't believe in themselves. So when they look in the mirror and they see someone that looks like them, they want to see somebody else. Black coaches are no different. That's why I'm proud of what Deion Sanders doing right now for the HBCUs because we need more people to step up and be the person that someone wants to see when they look for a leader or when they look for an example. So I hope that's what we're gonna be, my wife and I as a couple, our family, and Aswan again, you as a leader in your community, the Florida area don't know how much they have in you. I know because you used to be in Maryland and Maryland hasn't been the same since you left. So keep doing what you're doing, brother. Proud of you, man. And again, thank you for having me on the show. Well, I appreciate that, man. Appreciate that. And we're officially going to drop the mic. We would keep going, but I got, I got to get to the park right now, actually, and train <laughs> and do some boxing with a kid. But I would keep going after that. But, you know, 
again, we got to go do our work. We can't talk forever, man. Omar, love you, man. You've been a brother for years and then looking forward to this year, man. We're going to do some great things. Amen. Fellow teammates, continue to move swiftly. We'll talk more soon. Sign, having a rough time, sit on the porch with all my friends and kick gum rhymes. Go to work.
work and serve them season the lunch line But when it comes crunch time, where do my punchlines go? Who must I show to bust my flow? Where must I go? Who must I know? Or am I just another grab in the bucket? Cause I ain't having no luck with this little rabbit's for bucket Maybe I need a new outlet, I'm starting to doubt shit I'm feeling a little skeptical who I hang out with I look like a bum, yo my clothes ain't about shit At the Salvation Army trying to salvage an outfit Trying to travel this road Plus I feel like I'm all stuck in this battling mode My defenses are so up And one thing I don't want Is pity from no one This city is no fun There is no sun And it's so dark Sometimes I feel like I'm just being pulled apart From each one of my limbs By each one of my friends It's enough to just make me wanna jump out of my skin Sometimes I feel like a robot Sometimes I just know not What I'm doing I just blow My head is a stovetop I just explode The kettle gets so hot Once I'm over these tracks, man, I'ma never look back And I'm gone, I know right where I'm going Sorry mama, I'm grown, I must travel alone Ain't gonna follow no footsteps, I'm making my own Only way that I know how to escape from this eight mile road